Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. It's a game day, Flames and Jets tonight. A late one for some reason. Warm-up is at 7, puck drop is at 8. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon as we tee up this matchup tonight. Peter Klein with you. We'll be breaking that down. The Columbus Blue Jackets are apparently the most interesting team in the National Hockey League and probably some Hockey Canada stuff with Eric DeHatcha coming up at the bottom of the hour. Your texts, always welcome, 960-960. It's a game day. Let's chat with Lou. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Good afternoon, Mr. Lubardius. How are you today, sir? I am excellent. I am excellent. It's a game day and excited about this one. Yeah, it's, uh, again, these teams have met uh, uh, three times now. This will be the fourth time in the last five games. And yet, it feels like a lot has changed since they last met on Thursday. Uh, Sam Bennett did not play in that game. Neither did Pierre-Luc Dubois, both expected to play tonight. Uh, And the the Flames making a change from Saturday as well, with Josh Levo checking in. So, quite a few changes between uh, Thursday and today. We'll start with the Flames side. What do you make uh, of Levo back in the lineup for Calgary? Well, not surprised. Josh, who missed a boatload of hockey as a result of a broken kneecap that kept him out of action from December of 2019 until the start of this season, you know, you know it's going to take some time. And he's on a new team and he's looking to find a fit. He's had two shots on goal in his last five games. And, you know, at times, you know, we've seen the remnants of where it's going in a positive direction. So it would look like he's going to play on a line tonight. No Zach Ronaldo. That's the change. Levo in and we'll play with Byron Fraze. And on the other side, Joachim Nordstrom. So that's the change for the Flames. And, and there is some significance there. But let's start with the Winnipeg Jets today more than the Flames. Because while these teams are playing for a fifth time, their construction project Peter, even when you go back to opening night, is very different. And yes, Pierre-Luc Dubois and his Jets debut tonight, the huge deal made a couple of weeks ago with Patrick Laine. But what it's really done is, you know, given Paul Maurice, so go down the middle with this team. So here are their groupings. They'll play Cop with Shifley in the middle in Ehlers. Looks like Dubois makes his beginning with Kyle Connor on the left. And then... Somewhat surprising to some, Trevor Lewis on the right, a really responsible, dependable, reliable, use any adjective that you want, which, Peter, I think is really important when you indoctrinate a new player. He'll be really excited, want to make a massive impact with his new group, hasn't played for a while. So Lewis kind of gives you that conscience on the group with two very gifted guys in Dubois and Connor. Then a line they're not toying with, like the first group, and that's, you know, one of the fixtures and the glue of their group, and that's Lowry in the middle of Appleton, who really has impressed me, uh, along with Kopp. I, I think they're the two guys on the Jets this year that really have taken their games to a different level with Matthew Perot at three assists in the last meeting of these two teams. And that now, I've just gone through three 
that hasn't that leaves us still with Stashney and Wheeler, and looks like the youngster, former first round pick, Christian Vessel Linen. So depth beyond belief down the middle. Speed, heavy, balanced. This is a team now with Dubois, if it works, and they're gonna go through a period where we'll see what the fit is. And you know what else it does, Peter? Opening night, Mark Scheifele played 26-plus minutes. Your roles change. You know, now this has become more of a team, if it goes to Winnipeg's script, that you're probably looking at very similar ice times, five-on-five for all four of those groups. Great thing to do it on the road where you don't have last change and you just basically go, we're comfortable playing all of our lines against anybody you want to throw out. Let's see what you got. So while it's meeting five between the same two teams and only one new guy, I think, you know, they've, they've kind of gone to the property brothers themselves a little bit as a result. <laughs> yeah, they certainly have. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of a love it or leave it pun to come up with for the, the line <laughs> Dubois trade, but uh, nothing is coming. But either way, they're loving it with this lineup. And I really appreciate well, we'll the, the matchup. We'll, we'll see if they're loving it. Yeah, uh, on paper, they're loving it anyway. Yeah, um, yes. With with, uh, with this lineup now, and you, you kind of touched on it there, I, I always love kind of the game inside the game and how do you match up line for line. With this Jets one, it's kind of just throw your hands in the air. It's like, well, I, I don't know. Like, what what if you have a shutdown line, who are you sending them out there against? So from a Flames perspective tonight, you have last change. How do you just match up with these guys? Do you just kind of go the same approach and just roll four lines? Well, that's what you want to do now because of, no Derek Ryan, that changes your center ice depth in comparison. So that's not to say, because I think, Peter, one of the keys might be your ability to get to your fourth line. Are your three other groups playing well enough and setting the table to allow you to even see if you can use the fourth line? That didn't happen against the Oilers. It didn't. Byron Frey has played 450. You know, Zach Ronaldo played two and a half. Joachim Nordstrom, you know, he played 11 plus, but that's because of penalty killing time. That wasn't five on five time. Now, the Oilers are very different because they're very top heavy, and we saw, you know, 28 minutes and 26, 27 minutes for dry cycle the other night. So, you know, you're not dealing with the same team. But one of the reasons that the Flames didn't get to their fourth line is because the first period didn't allow it. So different team, different types of players. This Winnipeg team, I don't think you'd argue for a second, my friend, that you know it's definitely deeper and still has massive weapons. Um, so we'll see tonight if you can get more minutes from your fourth line, and you'll only get those because the Flames' approach is very similar. It's why the moved Elias Lindholm to the middle. Um, you know, they're looking for a lot of the same things. And it's your team's ability to hold up their, your end of the bargain. You know, matchups are great, but matchups only work when you can take advantage. So it will require a lot from the Calgary Flames tonight. And, you know, the greatest 
piece for me of Saturday and the takeover. And, you know, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, Peter, but when Michael Backlund and that line, and give Jeff Ward a lot of credit for putting Milan Lucic with Backlund and Mangiapane. So, you know, you really feel tonight in particular with the great work of Elias Lindholm, um, you know, who's become your, at least ice time-wise, your number one guy, and Backlund, if those two guys can play, you know, their level, then the swing line for me tonight will be the line that's kind of been in the spotlight, and that's Monaghan, Gaudreau, and Bennett. And even when you reflect back to their ice time the other night, it was great. You know, they produced. That's what you want them to do. But Sean was down around 14 and a half. So, you know, I don't see necessarily hard matchups. The game will dictate the utilization. But that group's ability tonight, you know, if, like, let's, let's put it this way. So, um, in the season series to this point, we've seen a lot of a couple of matchups. We've seen a lot of um, Shifley going up against Monaghan. We've seen a lot of that. And face-offs will tell you that. We've seen a lot of Backland against Stastny. I think that changes tonight. I, I really do. So, you're right. Tonight's one of those nights, and it kept me up lying in bed thinking about it last night till about 3 in the morning about how it might play itself out and where the game might turn. So, with last change, um, I think Jeff will look to go in some different directions. But without Derek Ryan, it also kind of changes the game, too, in that part of your lineup. Chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Hockey Central at noon. With a team that looks as stacked five-on-five as the Winnipeg Jets do right now, taking advantage of power play opportunities seems to be of the utmost importance. And for the first seven games of the season, the Flames were doing that. Uh, But now just one power play goal over their last four games. Um... It was something that was a big difference maker for the Flames positively, and now kind of dried up over the last couple of games. What are you seeing on the power play for the Flames? Well, I I would point specifically to the last couple of games between these two teams where I I think it was a massive difference maker. We talk all the time, Peter, about not just scoring, but your ability, you know, in bump-up situations, the momentum you derive from either power plays or penalty kills, and I just thought, you know, the Jets in the games were just a little more determined. They won more battles. You know, they retrieved pucks better. They defended the house. Everything was just, they were just a little better in all areas. So here's Jeff Ward today on what has to change against the Jets on the power play tonight. I mean, we've been outworked right now on the power play. Uh, That's why the 0 for 10 is there, and you know, they've made it difficult for us to enter. They've made it difficult in terms of uh, they're winning most of the races to lose pucks. Our puck recoveries haven't been there. Um, we're not getting a lot of time to set up in the offensive zone, or we haven't to this point in time. So, you know, for us, uh, we need to we need to work harder than the, their penalty kill is right now. And uh, that 0 for 10, I think, for me, that's the, that's the biggest thing that it speaks to. And there's another stat that Jeff pointed out on our coaches show, which uh, don't miss that coming up tonight. Um, at seven ten ish, and in tracking faceoffs, Peter against this Jets team, 
Flames have not won enough offensive zone power play faceoffs. They're in the 27, 28% neighborhood in that area. So anytime it means you're going back to regroup again and have to enter, you would love to win more faceoffs. And that's not just on, you know, Sean Monahan, who takes a lot of those faceoffs primarily because you can pick your strong side to begin the power play, and that's generally where they start. It's also about, you know, having an extra player and your wingers, and when pucks are tied up, you have one extra player on the ice that should give you an opportunity in those 50-50 battles, you know, which is where the game starts every time it resets. So I'd look at offensive zone power play face-offs if that area improves, we know that the Flames can be very dangerous with both their units in regards to if they start with it. But if you're going back and having to enter and now retrieve, and the Jets have done a nice job of flushing the Flames on their entries to one side. So even when you dump it in, you're not always, either you're trying to carry it through people, which I think, you know, the first unit has had a tendency to do on the entry situation. So entries, face-offs, but even more so, I think, face-offs. And even in the goal that they scored, Peter, on the power play against the Oilers, which, by the way, was the second unit, Ray Edwards pointed to the entries. And on the Dubé goal, what was really key against the Oilers? What was really key is they won a puck battle, the combination of Lucic and Mangiapane in the slot area, they retrieved it, the puck went around the horn, and it led to Dubé's blast from the off wing that beat Miko Koskinen on the short side. Uh, I, I do want to continue this conversation because it's one that I've always been fascinated with. I do just quickly want to interject. Uh, Elliot Friedman tweeting out um, a couple of moments ago, direct quote here. Well, this is something. Hearing Brian Burke will join Ron Hextall in Pittsburgh. Burke as president of hockey operations, Hextall as general manager. So wow. that's that's a thing. Uh, that's about a billion years of hockey experience. Oh, man, alive. <laughs> And uh, there's no shortage of edge determination. Um, That is a fascinating dynamic, a fascinating dynamic. I I have, you know, I I have great, great respect, you know, for Brian and how he goes about his business and how direct he is. Um, You know, he's done a lot of great things for a long time. And what people don't always realize and, you know, Needless to say, I have connections at Sportsnet Television as well as on the radio side. And, you know, people have really been blown away. And it it shouldn't come as a surprise that, you know, Brian, how seriously he has taken being on the radio and being on the panel. But, listen, am I completely surprised? No, because when it's what you love to do and it's what drives you and it's what you've done for a long time, I'm not surprised. I'm not I'm not surprised at all. 
No, and you, you can tell just like, uh, especially around draft time and trade deadline time, like there, there was still a fire burning for, for Brian Burke to, to do this thing. And that is a lot of brain power in Pittsburgh. And I, I think it's kind of a difficult job there, but um, the, they, they certainly got a couple of good guys for it. So that is the, the news coming from Elliot Friedman. Uh, again, that just came down a few moments ago. Uh, I, I do want to, to pivot back to the power play conversation because I... I would love to see kind of a, a deep dive into how much a power play percentage changes based off of winning that first faceoff because of all the work you have to do, like you said, to get, get the puck back. Teams are so good at cutting off that entry now. Then you have to win the puck battle to get the puck back and then set up your power play. Like half the power play is gone. Like that first faceoff is so important. No, it's, 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 it's monumental. It, it absolutely is. It, I would guarantee you without seeing the exact breakdown that, you know, the difference is massive. I mean, look at the example that we've already pointed to, you know, 0 for 10 in their last stretch against the Jets in particular, and you're in the 27% neighborhood of winning that faceoff. How different is that when you're in the 56 or 60 percentile? I know what's going to happen. You're going to score more goals. You can look at every graph and every map and every analytic and every breakdown. Peter, that's math 101. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would love you to You don't see... need a deep dive, my friend, on that one. <laughs> no, you that, don't. that's very fair. Yeah. If, if that percentage is really low, guaranteed your power play is going to struggle. Yeah, and teams just are so good these days at cutting off that yes. entry once they dumped it out. Like, it's just four guys and it's a wall, and have fun, and right. it, it becomes quite difficult, too. But um, it's the retrieval, too. The, the, the quick yes. thing, it's, it's the retrieval because, you know, there's a lot of 50-50s that lay loose on that face-off. So you need to win those. You need to jump off from the wing and support and get in there and win that battle to start with it. So that's equally, you know, you're not against good face-off people. You're not going to get a lot of clean ones. You need the 50-50s. That's how mm -hmm. 27 goes to 50 or 60. Yeah. Um, last one today, uh, it kind of jets adjacent as uh, Patrick Line, not off to a fantastic start with, with his coach out in Columbus as Line was benched for the last 26 minutes of the Columbus Blue Jackets game against Carolina last night. Um, once again, John Tortorella finds himself in the spotlight for handling a, a star player. What did you make of this situation? Well, here's what I would say. I think you probably know that I'm a pretty big fan of John Tortorella. And the reason is is because John believes in holding every one of his players to a certain standard. And there are no different rules for people. Now, you know, again, this happens because it's John, because it's Patrick Line and a star, you know, we quickly go to a certain spot. This can happen one time, one time. And we, we don't necessarily have to go down this road. But again, do you think John Tortorella really wants to bench Patrick Laine? Do you, like, as a coach, do people, do fans think that John is looking to do that? Not a chance. 
But what he does need is he needs somebody to play the game the right way. And I'm not taking time away necessarily from others who are doing it the right way. And, and that, to me, is all he is saying. It's not about making mistakes. Coaches can always, every coach I've ever dealt with in 35 years, it's not about the mistakes. It's about the level of compete and engagement. And, and I will say this, first impressions aren't always correct. But I remember my first ever night watching Patrick Lining. It came at the Max tournament in this town playing for the Finnish under-17 national team. And you know what I saw that night, Peter? I couldn't take my eyes for four games, because I saw them four times, including the final in that tournament. And I couldn't take my eyes off this 15-year-old who skill-wise, the way he moved, his size, got to open spaces, the way he released the puck, it blew me away. Blew me away. But you know what else I saw? I saw bad body language and at times kind of pouty when things weren't going his way. He's, he's, he's not 15 anymore, but are you telling me there weren't certain things about how he went about his business in Winnipeg that didn't potentially lead Kevin Shevel Day off to say, despite this guy's goal-scoring ability, there might be a reason why I could sell myself on going a different direction. Now, Patrick had a lot to say about that. So is the guy that's playing for their team now in Dubois. Here's what Jeff Ward thinks quickly. Not about this situation. So let me be abundantly clear. But he got asked about it in regards to that. And here's Jeff on managing today's younger, sometimes star players. You need to communicate with them. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. For me, anyway, dealing with uh, today's player as opposed to, you know, maybe a player from 10 years ago. A player from 10 years ago, you didn't need always to talk to them all the time. They knew. Um, and if something was on their mind, they'd, they'd come and find you. Uh, with guys today, they need to be, you know, they need to know why things are happening all the time. And uh, I think just that's that's the way that the generation is now. Um you know, we're like that as parents and it carries over. And uh, so for me, that's that's the biggest thing. As, as long as they know where they stand and uh, sort of what's going on, I think they're they're fine. But, you know, um, you don't want to leave too many gray areas there because uh, I think with today's generation, it, it sinks into their psyche a little bit more sometimes. I thought that was an interesting response. And uh, and. and... Mm-hmm. Peter, covering the sport for a long time, you know, working in our business for a long time, you know, that's, that's where it boils down to. There are differences. There absolutely are. And people arrive at certain places a certain way. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time. So, yes, communication is really important. And a standard of how you want your team to play is really important. And, frankly, in every team – when the right guys are holding up what your team believes in, I think you get to great places as, as a team or as a business or as a family even. Yep. And I, I'm interested. It's easy though. <laughs> nope. 
No, there, there's a bit of hard work that goes into to some of that. And, and we will see, because uh, it, it's it's been a little bit since we saw that last shift from Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus. Um, he, he is also with a coach now who won't be accepting that either. So I'll be interested nope. to see the buy-in from uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois tonight. Lou, I can't wait for this one. Uh, the, the forward matchups, I think, are going to be fascinating. I, I can't wait to break it all down tomorrow. Okay, pal. Thanks. Have a great afternoon. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. As you just heard, Lou back on Hockey Central at noon. He'll be answering your questions from Lou's mailbag every Friday. Head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. If your question is asked, you'll be walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. The winner will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Calgary's best steakhouse located in the heart of downtown. Looking forward to celebrating with you again soon. Go Flames, go. The breaking news from the National Hockey League. Ron Hextall is the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if that wasn't enough, Brian Burke is the president of Hockey Ops in Pittsburgh. That has been made official. We'll dive into that a little bit more with Eric DeHatchuk coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Always fun when news breaks, and it's breaking on a game day for the Flames. Uh, 7 o'clock warm-up, 8 o'clock puck drop tonight, but the focus of the hockey world right now is on Pittsburgh, as the Penguins have named former in-state rival Ron Hextall as their general manager, and Brian Burke, the president of hockey operations. Uh, we welcome in Eric DeHatchuk from The Athletic. Um, Eric, I'm going to guess, as one of our texters put it, uh, Brian Burke is a little bit happier now about the Penguins winning a gosh-darn lottery many years ago. You know what? It's interesting that you would start there because I was making notes to myself about this conversation, and I've written right down here, Brian Burke, colon, quote, they won a, and then there's a word that we're not allowed to use on the air, I don't think, lottery. And, uh, and, and I still have this, this image of him standing there because when it got down to two, it was him on the one side representing Anaheim. Now, I think it was Ken Sawyer, not David Morehouse, who was standing beside him. But I, you know, So let's say it was Ken Sawyer, and you could tell the expression on his face that the difference between one and two would have made, uh, you know, would have changed the fortunes of the Anaheim Ducks. I remember him asking him about it, uh, you know, after the fact, and, and it was basically, you know, like we're happy with the guy that we're going to take. This was even before they drafted Bobby Ryan. But then he paused and he said, but we could have found a sweater for the other guy too. So <laughs> but it is an interesting uh, turn of events, including the fact that, like, I remember I spoke to Brian the day, the day he left Calgary, um, that sort of, quote, mutual parting of ways uh, between him and, and Ken King, uh, flew back to Toronto. He was in the taxi going to his home because he still lived in Toronto. And, and he, he was adamant, you know, that, uh, that he, you know, he, had, he, didn't, he didn't want to get back into the business. And, and when Rogers approached him with this opportunity, that's what he was going to do. And he was, he was just going to finish out his career as a broadcaster. And, uh, uh, you know, I've talked to him a few times since then, and he, he pretty much stuck to his guns about that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure the explanation will be that this was an opportunity that was too good to, to pass up, and he still had the competitive fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is an interesting about face because he was 
absolutely adamant on the record that um, that you know that uh, you know he'd, he'd done his uh, part in, in hockey and uh, and he was content to, to be on on our side of the fence. So it will be interesting to hear the press conference when they uh, uh, you know when they announce it. I saw in the official statement that he just you know he talked about how you know working with Mario and Ron Burkle, people he's known for a long time. Um, it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be challenging because that's a, a franchise that <clears throat> that still has a little bit of, uh, of a window left in the Crosby, Malkin, Latang axis. But um, the future is going to be pretty tough uh, once you get past um, you know their the arc of their careers because there's there's not that much in, in the pipeline coming up. So, but yeah, yeah, you know, you know, we talk about blockbuster trades, Lina for. Uh, for Dubois was a blockbuster trade. I would say, as someone who monitors front office moves, this is a blockbuster front office move too. And then the Burke thing really caught me by surprise. I, I thought it was unexpected. Hextall, not so much. I, you know, when I looked at that list of candidates, you know, to me he was clearly the most qualified to, to step in there. So I, and I think he'll do a good job. But uh, yeah, but Berkey coming out of the coming out of the the ether like that that was that's something that's interesting <laughs> yeah i i tweeted out it's it's funny that with this announcement the flyers legend going to pittsburgh is the second most surprising part of this whole thing because like uh, it, it just ron hextall with the penguins seems almost uh just blasphemous really but they, they are taking over an interesting team now as you mentioned you have a bit left in crosby malkin and Latang, but it's it's an interesting balancing act of trying to to maximize those players while also not being completely barren once their their time is up. I find the Pittsburgh job really fascinating. Well, no, you're 100 percent right. And the one thing I would tell you is that you know, notwithstanding the fact that Pittsburgh was very fortunate to win the lottery that year when they when they drafted Sidney Crosby, the one thing that Pittsburgh has done twice is they have gone all scorched earth. And, you know, Mario Lemieux is the owner, and he was the principal player the first time they went all scorched earth in, in 1984 when, you know, there was an awful lot of talk about how, how hard Pittsburgh played down the stretch, which was just say not hard at all because they really wanted to finish last in order to draft Mario. That was the pre-lottery days, of course. And uh, they built a, a wonderful, really exciting team around him and Yaramir Yager, and, and, you know, eventually they traded for Ronnie Francis, and they, they had a great run with that group and then again they hit rock bottom and it wasn't just you know Crosby at one but it was Evgeny Malkin at two it was Chris Lang and Latang in the first round Marc-Andre Fleury was the first overall pick there were a lot of pieces that they accumulated over a period of time when they were very very poor so you know now I've never known you know when we've talked philosophy with with Brian Burke that he really believes in, in scorched earth that that really has not been part of his playbook in the past um, so it will be interesting to see because I think you know philosophically he's probably more aligned with with what Jimmy Rutherford used to do in, in Pittsburgh, which is let, let's push all those chips in the middle and go, go, go for it. And then Ron Hextall, who to me is at the opposite end of the spectrum. When you think about his background and especially, you know, his track record in Philadelphia, what did he do? He went in there, you know, coming from the Los Angeles system where he worked under Dean Lombardi. Dean Lombardi was a draft and develop guy. Ron Francis in Philadelphia was a draft and, and develop guy. Probably cost him his job, the fact that he had an incredible amount of patience and, and was just, you know, constantly told people, you know, this, this is the plan that will work. You just have to give it time. And I do think that when you see 
the strides that Philadelphia has taken as a franchise, a lot of that has to do with the, the building blocks that, that Ron Hextall has put into place. So, you know, to me, he is a guy that, that does believe in a more traditional building uh, method. And I think that in time, that, that's what will, have, will, will eventually have to happen in, in Pittsburgh. So I think that he's, he's well thought of in, in terms of as a player evaluation guy in the National Hockey League ground Hextel we're talking about now and and I think that you know that the sort of the yin and the yang of his relationship with Brian Burke is going to be interesting and, and it's you know it may well be that that having people sort of on, on the opposite sides of the philosophical coin is, is not the worst thing because then you have a chance to you get different perspectives I think one of the big issues in, in hockey right now is that some front offices have just a whole bunch of people that all think the same way because they're all friends and they've all worked together and once in a while I think you need a voice in the room that says wait a minute why don't we at least look at it the other way and, and, and examine this from all sides of the coin and then make the best possible decision we can so yeah it's it's you know it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting development for sure and, and I think you know one that those of us who do this for a living are going to be monitoring you know three weeks three months six months two years, five years, I mean, it's going to, you know, uh, I'd like to hear your prediction of where you think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be five years from today. Oh, man, I, I, I was, <laughs> on, I, I was on the record. You do that to me all the time, you ask me these questions, but I got, but here's what I would tell you, I think they're, they're going to be terrible, I think they're going to be terrible, I yeah. think they're going to, they're going to be competitive, for at least two to three more years, because Crosby, I mean, you know, these guys that we're talking about, Malcolm Crosby, Latang, you know, one is 33, two are 32. They are not at the end of the line. They are not. They are not. Malkin hasn't played particularly well. Latang hasn't. But I think that there's, uh, I, I think that there's still, uh, you know, stuff left in the tank. But I do think that in five years' time, I don't think that they'll be playing, or if they are, they'll be playing out their contracts. And so, you know, the, I think the bottom will fall out in time. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I do feel more confident about it with Ron Hextall there, as you mentioned, maybe a bit more of a, a longer view on things. Um, but no, I, I'm with you. I my bold prediction this year was this team was going to miss the playoffs this year. I, I didn't I didn't like the off season that they had, and I I don't I already don't love what they've built around Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. And so then you take those guys away, and I, I love it substantially less. Yeah, no, you're right. And then you have to get lucky a little bit. You know, you have to get lucky. Like, I think, you know, when John Marino, again, another guy that hasn't had a very good good start, but they got a little bit lucky in getting him, and now they're signed him to a contract, and they think he's going to be an important piece going forward. You know, and, and uh, I'll see if I get this right. Pierre-Olivier Joseph, a little bit I've seen of him in the NHL. He looks like a pretty dynamic player. So, you know, as long as you can find those guys that aren't their first overall, second overall, fifth overall, but that can come in and contribute – then, then you know, then then you, maybe you're going to be better than than you think. So, um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, a little bit of luck, and uh, and also someone with a keen eye for scouting. And and part of being a general manager is assembling that scouting staff too, because ultimately, as the GM, you're the one responsible for for calling out the pick, at least in the first round. But you better make sure that you've got a staff in place that you know when you get to the third round, you get to the fourth round, they'll whisper in your ear, okay, that's the guy that we saw there. 
there that nobody else has seen. Let's try him because we think that he's got an upside. Because if you if you make enough of those uh, correct picks in the in the later rounds, then you know that then you have a shot. Then you have a shot because uh, I, I don't know that you can necessarily only rely on you know on like where we started winning a lottery because you know that doesn't happen very often. And once in a while, the team that wins lotteries again and again and again still isn't very good, right? So. Yeah, this is this next question is probably me reading too much into everything, but this feels like something that wouldn't have happened like 20 years ago with Ron Hextel going from one rival to another. Like, I just I can't imagine like Joel Otto running player ops in Edmonton. Like it just it felt like there there are certain rivalries where there's just this hatred that you just can't get over. But it, it feels like once the playing career is done now, that kind of goes away. Is this. Is this kind of a, another example of how some of these rivalries are maybe not fading away, but maybe not as ingrown as, as we thought they were? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's a really good question. Uh, and what I would say is that well, two things. One, if you, if you go in and look at the press release uh, uh, that the Penguins put out, they, they went out of their way to stress that Ron lived there from the age of five to nine in the same neighborhood where a lot of Pittsburgh Pirates baseball players played. And he used to play in the streets of Manny Sanguin and, and other members of the Pirates. So, so they are trying to emphasize his Pittsburgh roots. <laughs> uh, and I think that it's partly, I, I don't think they would go to that kind of trouble if they weren't concerned about just the question that you raised. Like, how can you go and, and take not only a, a, a player that played for one of our rivals, but was such a volatile player. Like Ron Hextall as a goaltender was, you know, was, was sometimes out of control. Like at, at a point when the big bad flyers weren't the, you know, the broad street bullies anymore, like he was an exception, you know, he was incredibly competitive and, and just, you know, there is that whole, you know, black and orange world that the flyers inhabit. And, and he seemed to be like a denizen of that world for sure. So, so that you're you're 100 percent right there. What I would say is that I think it's the top job that that makes it so unique. Because when you think about, uh, you know, even uh, you know Calgary Edmonton, one of the great rivalries in the NHL. I mean, eventually, you know, Steve Smith came down here. Eventually, Grant Fuhr came down here. Did, you know, but but those were that, that's not the general manager. The, the, it, I guess you know the equivalent would be if Cliff Fletcher had ended up as the general manager of the Oilers, or Glenn Fayther, or John Muckler, someone like that had come down here. And you're right, 20 years ago, no chance. That you just would not have even thought about that. The the optics of that would have been so difficult for for the people in you know in this community to to accept that that you wouldn't have you would have looked elsewhere if you were trying to recruit. But you're right. It's, it, it, you know, as every year passes, we are reminded more and more that the NHL is a business and, and people conduct themselves as businessmen. And so, you know, this notion of a rivalry, yeah, it's a, you know, like it's a quaint thing and, and they're certainly paying, you know, a great deal of attention to it this year because of the way the divisions have been set up. Uh, but the reality is you're Pittsburgh. You were kind of left in a lurch a little bit there because your general manager unexpectedly resigned. You weren't prepared. This is the one part that I didn't understand. Why you wouldn't have simply, you know, uh, you know, left the job open, um, you know, allowed the, the you know, the, the the interim general manager to continue being interim general manager through the end of the year, and then cast a wider net. So there was 
Obviously, internally, a decision was made that they want to get this thing done rather the sooner than later. That surprised me a little bit. I, you know, a lot of times teams will take a little bit longer for such a key appointment. But then you have to cast the net as wide as you possibly can and interview as many you know, people that you see as, as the best possible fit. And, you know, I know Ron Hextall a little bit over the years, especially when, when he was working for the Kings. And, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that will come with a plan. So if you're interviewing, uh, you know, eight candidates, it's, there's probably no one that is more prepared for that interview that has, you know, a, a, you know like a large stack of documents sitting on the desk beside him. And, uh, and, and he will have done his research and, and he will do a good job, I think. Uh, I do want to, to ask at least a couple of questions I had planned for today uh, before all this news broke. Um, uh, hockey Canada, since we last spoke, uh, announcing the decision makers for Canada's men's Olympic hockey team, Doug Armstrong is leading the group. I guess before we get into some of the specifics, what did you make of the, the announcement and the, the people who will be in charge of putting together, um, I'm sure just reading off your article from The Athletic and just picking off each player, but who will be in charge of uh, Hockey Canada's roster come 2022? Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, Doug Armstrong, you know, Ken Holland, I've known for 30 plus years in, in the case of both of them. Roberto Luongo, basically, since he you know, came in and played in the NHL. Don't know Don Sweeney at all. Um, but but I do kind of know how, how how they think. And in fact, that was me on the on the conference call with Hockey Canada asking Doug Armstrong about analytics, because the one thing that struck me was, uh, especially last week, you know, analytics seemed to be in the in all of the headlines. And, and I wondered because, you know, he was part of the group in 2014 when Steve Eisman was at the lead. Like, how much did analytics play into the decision then? And then I asked him, you know, is it going to be more of a factor going forward? And, and he gave, you know, an answer that I would have expected, which is that, you know, hey, analytics is playing an important role. We have a department in, in St. Louis. It's, it's good to look at different things from a different perspective. But then he paused and, and you just waited. And then, but, you know, we're going to rely on kind of an old-fashioned method. We're going to rely on the eye test. We're going to rely on, on you know, t talking to other general managers and getting a sense of what they're evaluating, uh, you know, how they're evaluating their um, players internally, and then make, the, you know, the best decision that we can. So I thought that the fact that, you know, that he was willing to even say that publicly, that they would take a more old-school approach to building this team than, than maybe – people in the you know 2021 would have would have thought was was interesting um and so I, I think you know i mean the biggest controversy the whole week was you know i think the three of us that picked uh, team canada all had drew dowdy on the uh, on the team and we just got killed we just got killed <laughs> on social media for that and i knew that would happen because he's such a polarizing player but i just think that you know that the way that i think is kind of the way those guys think too and and put it this way if you were to ask me i'll tell you it's dowdy's place to lose now you know he could his game could fall off a cliff and uh, when it comes to December of this year, and if he's you know not playing very well, you know he won't be on the team. But I think they like his experience. They like his his confidence. You know, the one thing about selecting a team for Canada in Olympic Games like this is that you need players that have proven to you that you can rise to the moment. I think there's an awful lot of great players in the National Hockey League that have proven over time that they shrink from the moment when it comes to, to playing in, you know, in Stanley Cup games. They're the ones that don't want to be involved in the shootout with the games. and it's, it's, it's a function of personality as much as anything else. And so what you've got with someone like Dowdy is someone that's just supremely confident. And you, you go out there and in the moment will not defeat him. And so that, that goes into the, 
you know, the selection process. It's an important part of the selection process, and it's a very difficult thing to quantify no matter which type of analytics you're, you're doing, whatever formula you're using. So I think, you know, if you were to ask me what does this management group think, there will be, you know, there will be a number of players that they evaluate strictly on the basis of, you know, who at that moment when we're playing, you know, in like 2010, you know, we're playing for the gold medal, you know, if we're in overtime, you know, and, and are Crosby and Aginla going to get the job done? Yes, they did. So that, that's the type of player that they're going to be looking for. And I, I would suggest that that's a little bit more uh, old school than, um, you know, than if you'd hired, if you'd gone in a different direction and, and maybe, you know, taken a younger, less experienced manager, they might have taken a different approach. Eric, this was fun today. Thank you for this. And uh, who knows what we'll be chatting about when we talk seven days from now. <laughs> Keep the news coming. That's what I always say. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. A after the summer, I will gladly take all of this. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. There is uh, Eric Dehatcha joining us on the Eric uh, on the uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. So again, the breaking news today, Ron Hextall, general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brian Burke is your president of Hockey Ops for the Pens. A very interesting day. We will break that, that down, but we start the big show with an apology from me to the Winnipeg Jets. We'll obviously have more of an explanation on that coming up next.